Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. Well, good morning. As Mac just said, we are wrapping up a series today. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been calling this series Giver and Users because we're talking about how the Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts, and it's our role. We are actually the users of those gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And so we've been using this definition for spiritual gifts that I just want to recap for us of saying that spiritual gifts are a specific ability that's given to all followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit for the sake of ministering to one another. And so these are abilities that the Holy Spirit gives every person who follows Jesus. So you might be, have been sitting in this series thinking like, well, I don't have a spiritual gift. Well, yes, you do. That's why we're trying to discover them together. And these gifts have a purpose. These gifts have a meaning that they're meant for. And we've been spending a lot of time in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church because he devotes a lot of that letter to this whole topic of spiritual gifts because it was written to a church that was struggling with this whole idea of spiritual gifts. How do we live them out? How do we know what we have? How do they function? How did God equip us to use these gifts? And so one of the foundation passages for this whole topic is found in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 6. It says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There's different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And this is about kind of centering us that even though there's a lot of variety in the spiritual gifts, there's a lot of kind of differences, and we've, we've been splitting them up into three categories to kind of just help us understand them. But each of these categories is vital and important, and it is the same God, the same Holy Spirit that is behind all of them. And so the three categories of spiritual gifts that we've been going through are the love gifts, the word gifts, and the power gifts. And so two weeks ago, we, we started by talking about love gifts, and these are gifts that empower us to reveal God's incredible love for people. These are gifts that help us show love, help us care, help us guide, help us care for one another. And these are essentially gifts that build community, that draw us together in relationships with one another. And then last week we talked about the word gifts, and these are the gifts that reveal who God is, what he desires, and what his plans are. And we kind of split those gifts into two categories. We talked about there's some that are strengthening-focused and some that are proclamation-focused, encouragement, shepherd, leader, teaching, evangelism, and apostleship. And we kind of described and worked through those together. And so today we're coming to the last of the three categories. We're talking about the power gifts. And so these are a specific category of gifts that actually has the most number of gifts in it. And the power gifts are gifts that reveal that God is present with us now and reveal his supernatural power. And see, when we experience or when we see power gifts being lived out, these are the gifts that sometimes make us scratch our heads. They are the ones that make us go, whoa, God is doing something. And often we, we struggle to comprehend these ones sometimes. And the foundation for all these gifts, one of the passages we've been going back to is Jesus' baptism. Now there's evidence for the spiritual gifts in the Old Testament, but we've been kind of focusing on the New Testament portions of it. And so when Jesus began his ministry, the first 30 years of his life, he worked. He he was with his family, with his brothers, his sisters, his mother, his father, and he worked. But then at age 30, something changed, and the time was right for Jesus to begin his ministry. 
And he didn't just start teaching right away. He didn't just start going around and drawing people to follow him right away. The first thing he did was his baptism. And so in Matthew 3, verse 16, Matthew records his baptism and says that after his baptism, when John the Baptist lowered him into the water and raised him up, the heavens were opened. And the the Greek word for this is the heavens were torn apart. And it means a torn apart in a way that cannot be mended and resealed. The heavens were essentially ripped open. And the Spirit of God descended like a dove, settling on Jesus. And a voice from heaven says, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And everyone who was there, who witnessed this, was in awe because John the Baptist had been baptizing people for years. And this is the first time that something like this happened. Every other time they were lowered into water, they were brought up, they would celebrate, they would mark this new life and this new way of trying to follow God's kingdom. But when Jesus is baptized, something happens. There's this wow moment and everyone around hears this loud voice and everyone kind of goes, whoa, what's happening here? See, that was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. His ministry didn't begin until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then everything that Jesus did was not because he was the Son of God. He did it because he was the Son of God filled by the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did was because the Holy Spirit was working in him And we have the same Holy Spirit today. This is the foundation of our spiritual gifts and how we talk about this, that God empowers us to do things with unique abilities for the sake of building up the church, for the sake of caring for one another, for the sake of revealing God's love to the world. And so today we're talking about the power gifts. These are the big ones, the the ones that kind of, that make us stand back because power gifts have this unique way of revealing the supernatural. Because God is supernatural. He's not bound by the laws of physics the way that we are. God is beyond that. And because of his supernatural nature, when he moves and when he acts, we start to see the supernatural happen. But with that is that power gifts often cause the most confusion and raise the most questions because they kind of break this natural way that we're kind of programmed and see how the world works. When, you know, someone tells you about being miraculously healed, we're like, yeah, but, but the biology doesn't work that way. And so sometimes we get confused because every time that God moves in a power gift, we're confronted with the fact that the way God works and who God is goes beyond our natural order and our natural way that things are. And this is exactly the way that God intended it to be. And so I want to take you to a passage we haven't been to before in this series. At the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, this is part of his opening kind of statements that he's prepping this letter with. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, he says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. What he's saying is that God's ways, the message of salvation, the way that God works, the fact that Jesus came, died, and rose again that we're going to talk about next week, all of this breaks what we would say human wisdom dictates. We would say, no, no no one can come back from the dead, but Jesus did. And the power gifts are like that. And so when we see a power gift happen, when we see one in action, we can either try to come up with a rational explanation 
or we can accept that the Holy Spirit is alive and powerful. This is the the conflict that happens in our minds every time God does something that breaks the normal order, that changes the way the world is. Because, you know, I like logic. I studied logic in university. I love taking logic courses. I love reasoning. I like working through it. But then every time God does something, I kind of go, okay, am I going to try to force God to fit the logic of how my brain works, or do I accept that I am finite, that I won't be able to understand the depths of who God is fully on this side of heaven? Do I understand that God can do things beyond what I say that God can? Because a lot of us, we we tend to put God in a box. We say, these are the things God can do, these are the things God can't do, and as long as God stays in the realm of the things that we say he can do, we like it. And the moment that God breaks out of that because you know, he wants to show us what he can do and he loves to reveal himself to us, you know, we have this moment of you know, what are we going to do when God breaks our box of how we think God should act? Because I think God takes a lot of joy in proving us wrong when we say, no, God can't do that, or God can't do this, or can't do, you know, whatever it is. God takes great joy in revealing himself to us and how he is bigger than our understanding. But the power gifts have a, have a unique thing, and this is why we're going to spend a little more time on kind of this intro of power gifts, because every one of us in the room right now has a different starting point and experience when it comes to the power gifts that scripture talks about. You know, for some of us in the room, you may be here, or maybe this is your first time checking us out, and you're like, spiritual gifts, what is this whole thing? Just come on, stick with me for a moment, because we're going to lay a great foundation for how this starts. And so I want to thank you for being here and being willing to dive into this conversation with us. For some of us, you know, we've heard of spiritual gifts, but maybe we've never really dived into it too deep, and we've kind of thought, well, maybe that's just something that other people get, and I don't, don't get one. And I want to say, sorry, but you're wrong. Because God does have a spiritual gift for you. We just haven't uncovered and discovered it yet. And so that's what we're trying to do together. So I'm glad you're here with us. But in the realm of of power gifts, there's kind of two kind of extremes that often will happen in the church. And so I'm going to take a bit of time and we're going to talk about these extremes and see how somewhere in the middle is really where the truth is about these gifts. Because one of the dangers of the power gifts is because they are spectacular. They have this wow quality around them that that stands out in ways that we don't recognize with the other spiritual gifts. And so when we see God work in these amazing, powerful, huge ways, we sometimes have this tendency to elevate the power gifts above the word and the love gifts. And so we get in trouble when we take these power gifts and we say, you know, these ones are on a pedestal, like everyone has spiritual gifts, but the people with power gifts, you know, they're like on a pedestal, they're, you know, on a next level, like, man, we should aspire to be like those people, but that's not how Paul talks about it. Because the way Paul talks about spiritual gifts is that all spiritual gifts are equal. All spiritual gifts are level. And all spiritual gifts are required to be interdependent on one another. And so if we take one category of gifts and we elevate it super high, we're actually taking the spiritual gifts out of balance. And sadly, it's true that sometimes power gifts get abused when the expression of the gift, how the gift gets lived out, becomes more important than the depth of relationship with God. And this can happen sometimes if we're like, 
you know, we gather and we say, oh, you know, there wasn't some like amazing thing happened. Like, you know, we prayed in our small group, our life group, we prayed for someone's healing and they, they weren't healed instantly. You know, God's not with us. Okay, if we take that perspective, we've just taken that spiritual gift and we've actually elevated it above God. And what happens is, is we've taken a good thing, something that's meant for us, something that's meant for the church, meant to reveal God, and we've actually elevated it above God. And that's when we get into trouble. And so sometimes if we elevate one chunk of the spiritual gifts above the others, we run into problems. And so we, this is kind of an excess piece. And so how we counter that and how we remember that is to focus on this, that all spiritual gifts reveal God. Regardless of the category, all spiritual gifts have the purpose of revealing who God is to us. But the spiritual gifts cannot replace God because they come from the one who gives them to us. The gift is not greater than the giver. And so we have to be, make sure that when we talk about power gifts, that we don't fall into the trap of elevating them above the other spiritual gifts because they're not meant to be that way. The gifts are equal. All of them reveal God, but they do not replace God. And then there's also the other side of the coin. There's the other side of the, of the, kind of the spectrum where sometimes people will say, well, the power gifts, that was a back then thing. That was a first century of the church thing, and this doesn't happen now. And there's a verse that, that kind of is the foundation for this perspective, and it comes in 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians 12 is this, Paul does this deep dive into what spiritual gifts are, and then in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives, here's the foundation for it. And you probably have heard the, the first part of this because it's the passage that we all recite and we hear at weddings about love is patient and kind. Love does not boast or does not celebrate inequality, but rejoices when justice is lived out. And we have this whole nice, wonderful passage in this description of love that we shove into a wedding ceremony. And it's a beautiful passage about love. But when Paul wrote that passage, he was not writing it about a husband and wife. He was not writing it about the joining of two lives into one. He was writing it as the parameters for how spiritual gifts are lived out in a community. That love for one another is the foundation. And then right after this passage on love, there's this little chunk that makes us scratch our heads sometimes. And Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, dot, dot, dot. And I'm, I, we're going to finish out the verse in a moment. Prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, sometimes that's called tongues. Special knowledge being granted wisdom from God for a certain situation. Paul says those will become useless. And so there is a, a, a stream of thought within the church of saying, well, once uh, the first century closed, once the original 12 disciples, once those apostles died, that period of history ended. And so those gifts, if you see them today, are, are fake. They've been made up. They're a deception, and we shouldn't pursue them. We shouldn't accept them in the church. But there's a problem with that perspective, and that's if we carry on what Paul's talking about. He gives a qualifier. And so two verses later, he says this, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. And so there's this qualifier of when. So what does it mean when Paul says, when the time of perfection comes, he says, we won't need speaking in unknown languages. We won't need special knowledge. We won't need prophecy. So what's this time of perfection? Every time that Paul talks about the time of perfection, 
He is not talking about when Scripture was authored, as some people kind of will say. What he was talking about is the time when Jesus returns and we all get to see God face to face. Because those three gifts are communication gifts. They're expressions of God's power through communicating to us. But if we're standing face to face with God, God doesn't need to use those gifts anymore. In fact, when we're standing in front of God, we get to just speak plainly with him. And Paul goes on, he says, now we see things dimly, but then we will see things clearly. And so our understanding of who God is is always limited because we're still finite human beings. Our brains struggle to comprehend just how good, just how loving God is, just how glorious he is, just how deeply everything he did was about drawing us into a deeper relationship with him. But then, when there's this time of perfection, when Jesus, you know, whenever that time is that Jesus chooses to return, when we get to see God face to face, there are certain spiritual gifts that it's like, well, we don't need those anymore because we'll see God face to face. But the point I'm getting at in this is saying that these spiritual gifts, these three that Paul says will become useless, they're not useless now. They are still meant to be active and how God is communicating and speaking to his church and guiding and shaping us now. And so there's kind of these two traps we can fall into, almost like two ditches on the side of the road that we may swerve into. Because if we reject the power gifts, we won't be able to see all the ways that God is active in the world today. But if we're scared of falling in that ditch and we swerve the car to the other ditch, We end up elevating the power gifts, and then we don't experience the unity and the interdependence of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. So where's the the foundation in this? The foundation is in the middle. Because a healthy and thriving church requires love, word, and the power gifts to all be present and active. Because this is the foundation of power gifts, the same as it's the foundation of the word gifts and the love gifts is that these gifts reveal God and build up the church. These gifts are how God has equipped us to do what he has sent us here to do. So how do we find this healthy place where all the gifts are active? The first place it starts with is in us, of saying, are we willing to make a choice to say that when we see a power gift in action— that we don't immediately try to dismiss it with logic and reasoning. And that's my default. That's where I would be way more comfortable in who I am as as my personality would be to say, let's just logic the, let's logic the wonder out of it. You know, have you ever been that where, you know, something happens and you're like, well, how does that work? And when you actually find out how it falls apart, you know, like who's been to a magic show? I can't do magic, so I'm not going to try and do one for you here because I can't do it. But, you know, someone does a card trick and you're just like, how did he pull that card? How did he know that was the one? Now, every stage magician knows. They know exactly how they're doing it. But for us, there's this wonder, this, oh, it was so cool. It was exciting. How did it happen? But if we try to logic and reason the wonder out of the power gifts, you know, if, if, imagine if you went to a, a, a stage magician show and after every trick, he will, you know, pull out, is this your card? And everyone goes, whoa, that's cool. How did you do that? And then another guy comes out and says, okay, so here's how he did it. Would you want to be at that show? Absolutely not. 
You know, some of us, like I, I would kind of like it. I'd like the first couple times I'd be like, oh, that is cool. That's how he did it. That's how he got that card from that place to that place without us realizing, you know, he misdirected. He made us look here when he was doing something over here. I would find that fascinating for the first two or three. And then I would probably get really depressed and really sad because we've taken the wonder out of it by overanalyzing and overreasoning it. Now, it's not to say that we don't use the logic and the reasoning and the gifts that God has given us and the, the intellect that God has given us. But if we see a power gift in action and we try to reason our, 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 our basically reason the Holy Spirit out of it, we're dismissing the wonder and the way that God reveals himself. We say, well, that person you know, that had a, a word of wisdom, they were just lucky. They just guessed at the right thing. We're taking the Holy Spirit out of the gift if we do that. So if we want to be a healthy and thriving church, and I believe we do, and I believe we're on this path and we're already moving forward in some amazing and wonderful things, but if we want to continue on this path of being a healthy and thriving church, we need to see all three categories of spiritual gifts present and active. And most of the times, churches, even in, in Grand Valley's history, we can look back and we can say there's eras where, you know, we had two out of three really good, but we were still missing the third. So how do we dive into this? How do we come to a position as a community that we learn how to accept power gifts? And it starts with a, f- a few kind of premises that we're going to lay into. And the first one is this. Just like all spiritual gifts, Power gifts require us to develop and learn how they're used. The first time that God gives you a power gift and you use it, it's, it's not always a guarantee that it's going to work perfectly. You know, I've had times where I've, I've felt that God said, you know, you need to give this message to someone. And I've, I've given them the message and like the first part of it was right and the second half wasn't. And I'm kind of like, oh, well, did I hear that wrong? Did I interpret that wrong? Okay, what do I need to learn from in order to do better the next time. But the problem is with the power gifts, that whenever there's a, a slight misfire, there's a slight mistake with it, or you know, our, our human nature gets in the way sometimes, we will sometimes take that power gift and we'll dismiss it of say, well, it wasn't 100% on, so it must not have been from God entirely. And so we have to give permission for gifts to develop. And we get this when it comes to the word and the love gifts. You know, and when we were in the word gifts, I talked about years ago when I was still our associate pastor and I started to do my first sermon and my first times preaching here. And I said, we had a lot of very well-meaning and loving liars in our church because you came and you told me I did good and I didn't. (laughs) They were not good sermons. They weren't. (laughs) But those of you with the gift of encouragement and, you know, some mercy and some kindness, you guys shepherded me and encouraged me to keep at it. And so I hope, you know, now there's, there's a gap between where I was and where I am now and where I'm hopefully, you know, continually improving as a communicator and a speaker. We need to have that same perspective when it comes to the power gifts. Are we willing to nurture and develop people with power gifts? Are we willing to encourage them and not dismiss them the moment something seems a little off? Because that's where the church has tended to fall is that the moment a power gift pops up, and happens, and we're like, okay, it didn't, it, you know, it wasn't 100%. And we say, no, it must have been fake. So we have to, as a community of faith, choose to say, we will have grace. We will give room for people to grow. We will shepherd. We will, you know, discuss and say, okay, so what was great in that? Where did we see God move? 
And how do we do that better? How do we have this culture of saying we will continually push deeper and further and not just accept it as it is and judge it as where it is and declare yes or no? How do we have a development path? So maybe in this series so far, you've been here through maybe the word gifts or the love gifts or you've listened to the podcasts online and you've been sitting there you're like, I don't think any of those gifts fit me. And maybe you came here this Sunday and you're kind of like, he's going to talk about power gifts. I really hope I don't have one of those. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're like, we don't want the weird gifts. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're starting to recognize a spiritual gift, even just an inkling of it, of you think, well, maybe it's that. Here's what I want to call us to. Are you willing to learn about your gift? Are you willing to kind of try to understand it together? Are you willing to pray and ask for confirmation? God loves to confirm what he's already said. He loves to confirm what he's already done because it proves to us that he does want to keep communicating with us. Are we willing to pray and look for opportunities that we, you know, we get better at our gifts through using them, not just learning about them. Learning about them is the first step, but using them we have to dive into. And are we willing to continually develop our gifts? So what are the power gifts? I haven't given you a listing other than a partial one. These are the power gifts that are listed in Scripture. Faith, intercession, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, healing, miracles, and the discernment of spirits. Now that's a longer list than the word and the power gifts, or the word and the love gifts that we've talked about, which is why we're not digging into every one of them today, because I don't want to speak till five o'clock today. I'm sure you don't want me to either. So here's what we're doing. Next Sunday, we're starting a sermon series that Mac introduced called Invisible God. And we're going to be talking about how do we cultivate a deep relationship with God, even though we can't see him. How do we dive in deeper? And then after that series, on May 12th, we're coming back to the power gifts. And we're going to take a slower walk through them, and we're going to kind of group them in in pairs and groups of three. And we're going to dive through these together, because we need to give these gifts the time that they deserve. Because if all I have the time for is to give, here's a definition of each one, then we don't actually get to learn how do we live this out in community? How do we get to see God moving through these gifts? And so what I want to challenge us to today is saying, are we willing to be open to God moving in powerful ways? You know, the song we sang, Do It Again. Do we actually want to see God do the things he's done? Do we want to see him do those again? Because if we do, we're in for something really incredible. I want to take you to a passage early on in Jesus' ministry. This was right after the Sermon on the Mount when he kind of gave his largest intro teaching of this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like, this new understanding, because Jesus came to basically rebuild the people's relationship with God. And it's why he caused so much controversy and so much trouble because the way that people thought the world worked, Jesus kept coming and saying, no, it doesn't quite work that way. He would keep using this phrase of saying, you have heard it said this way, but I say this way. He was taking the way that they thought they understood their relationship with God and creating something new and something bigger with it. And so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records this in his gospel, Matthew 9, verse 35 to 36. Jesus traveled through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. Now, knowing what we've learned about spiritual gifts, when we look at this passage, you know, there's words that are highlighted. And in fact, I actually missed one because compassion should be highlighted too. There are five spiritual gifts visible in this passage that Jesus lived out as he was traveling and teaching. He was teaching. He was proclaiming the word, the gift of evangelism. He was healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. That's the gift of mercy right there. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And shepherding is one of the spiritual gifts of providing care for people over a long-term time. Jesus knew that he couldn't stay and be their shepherd forever because his plan and his purpose was to equip people to be shepherds to lead the church. So Jesus, after he gives this large teaching, he is using the spiritual gifts to build a movement, a movement that would transform and change the world. But then there's the next two verses. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now when Jesus says workers, he's talking about people that can do the work of ministry. People that can care for one another, people that can shepherd one another, people that can encourage, that can love, and people that have the power gifts. People that can speak words of prophecy, people that can heal, people that have gifts of intercession to pray continually, deeply for what God is doing. People that have the faith to know that God will do what he says he's going to do. People that have the gifts of speaking in unknown languages and people that have the gifts of interpreting those languages so that everyone can be edified by what is said. And note that he says workers. He is not saying superstars. He is not saying people that will excel at everything they touch. He's talking about workers. Are we able to do the work that God has called us to do? We are the workers that Jesus was asking for. The Lord is preparing a harvest. The Lord wants everyone to be able to come into a deep and life-giving relationship with him. But we, the church, we, the workers, have to be willing to say, will we do the work that God has called us to do? And not only has God called us to do the work, he's already equipped us. He's already given us everything we need to be able to do what he's called us to do. The Holy Spirit equips us with spiritual gifts for a purpose so that we can build God's kingdom and achieve the mission that he has laid out for the church. That's why spiritual gifts matter And why if we don't talk about this topic or why if we take some of the gifts and we set them aside and say, no, those only happen then, we are essentially cutting off our toolbox of resources. I mean, anyone who's who's worked on anything has that moment where you're looking for that tool that you know you thought you had, but it's somewhere in your toolbox and you can't find it. You know, it gets frustrating. We will self-frustrate ourselves if we cut off part of the toolbox, if we weld a drawer on the toolbox shut and we say those gifts don't matter, those gifts we don't need, we are only going to frustrate ourselves because we're denying what God has equipped us with to do what he has called us to do. And so at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives a summary of everything that he has taught his disciples. And he gives them what we call the greater mission that we talked about in our last sermon series together. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said to his disciples after the resurrection, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. And Jesus went to the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us to equip us for ministry, to equip us to do exactly what he has called us to do. That's why this whole topic of spiritual gifts is so vitally important for the church today. Because the church, the ch- if the church doesn't dive into what the Holy Spirit has given us, we are intentionally frustrating our ability to do what God has called us to do. And so I want to leave you with this kind of question for the next couple of weeks while we take a break and we talk about how do we have this deeper connection with God. And then we're going to come back to this topic and dig into these individual gifts and, and how they're lived out. How do we know we have them? How do we practice them? How do they serve one another? How do they intermingle with the word and the love gifts? And how do these all work together to build the community that God has called the church to be? But here's the question I want you to wrestle with for three weeks of saying, are we willing to be the workers to be equipped to do what God has called us to do? And are we willing to accept the tools that God has given to us? So we're going to close our service today with the time of communion and the band's going to lead us in one more song. And communion is this time where we reflect on the way that Jesus established God's kingdom. He didn't establish it by the sword. He didn't establish it with power, with might. He established it with a sacrifice. And on Good Friday, we remember that Jesus was willing to come, not to sit on a throne here on earth, but he came to be condemned, to take on the sins that were not his own, so that we could be drawn into a deeper relationship and a deeper connection with God. That's why we're starting this series on Easter called Invisible God. How do we connect with the God we can't see? Because God so desperately wants to connect with us. And so the way we do communion here is is we we invite you to come up and to take the elements for yourself. The bread on the silver trays is gluten-free if you need that. And we ask you to come up, take some of the juice, take a piece of bread, and return to your seat and take a moment and just pray. Maybe pray with someone you're with, or if you prefer to pray on your own, that's okay too. But take a moment and pray and thank God for what he's done. And we practice open table communion. It's up to you if you want to come. You don't have to. We're not uh, forcing you to come and take communion, but we're not restricting you either. It's completely up to you. If you want, if you are at that point in your life where you've put your trust in Jesus and want to see him do what he says he will do, I want to invite you to come up and take communion together. And then after that, the band's going to lead us in a song to close our service. And we actually, we're going to pass our offering bags again because we receive a second offering when we do communion and it's our benevolent fund. It's funds that don't stay here in the church at all. We don't use them for budgets. We don't use them for bills. We take these funds and we use them to help people in our community so that as an expression of recognizing how deeply God loves us and how deeply God loves the people who don't know him yet, we give as an expression of love to people that we may never know their faces but we want them to be touched by the love of God. We want them to recognize that. So we're going to put on just some background music. I want to invite you, as you feel ready, to come up and take communion. This is what we sing about. We sing about God's great love and his care for us because he is a good father. And like a good father, he wants to pour out his gifts upon us spiritual gifts so that we have everything we need to do what God has called us to do. So let's take a moment. Let me just pray for us. 
Lord, would we dive in to the gifts you have for us? Lord, would we be open to seeing you move in supernatural ways that our minds struggle to comprehend? And Lord, would we be able to recognize that it is you when it happens? That we don't chalk it up to circumstance or coincidence, but we recognize that when it is you, it is you who is moving in our midst. And so Lord, would you challenge us to be open to the ways that you seek to move? Would we be open to being the workers that you have called and equipped so that our world would be transformed by your love. And Lord, would we be willing to walk faithfully with you in this. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray this together. Amen. Amen. Folks, next week we are diving into Invisible God. How do we have a relationship with a God we can't see? And it's also Easter Sunday. And so we want to invite you, plan to be here next Sunday, plan to invite your family, your friends to come with you as we dig into this How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? And how do we have a relationship with him now? So folks, I hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.